This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Mysterious Island by Jules Verne Part 2, Chapter 14 Pencroft, Herbert, and Gideon Spilett remained silent in the midst of the darkness. Pencroft shouted loudly. No reply was made. The sailor then struck a light and set fire to a twig. This lighted for a minute a small room, which appeared perfectly empty. At the back was a rude fireplace, with a few cold cinders, supporting an armful of dry wood. Pencroft threw the blazing twig on it, the wood crackled and gave forth a bright light. The sailor and his two companions then perceived a disordered bed, of which the damp and yellow coverlets proved that it had not been used for a long time. In the corner of the fireplace were two kettles, covered with rust, and an overthrown pot. A cupboard, with a few mouldy sailor's clothes, on the table a tin plate and a Bible, eaten away by damp. In a corner a few tools, a spade, pickaxe, two fowling pieces, one of which was broken. On a plank, forming a shelf, stood a barrel of powder, still untouched, a barrel of shot, and several boxes of caps, all thickly covered with dust, accumulated perhaps by many long years. "'There's no one here,' said the reporter. "'No one,' replied Pencroft. "'It is a long time since this room has been inhabited,' observed Herbert. "'Yes, a very long time,' answered the reporter. "'Mr. Spilett,' then said Pencroft, "'instead of returning on board, I think it would be well to pass the night in this hut.' "'You are right, Pencroft,' answered Gideon Spilett. "'And if its owner returns well, perhaps he will not be sorry to find the place taken possession of. "'He will not return,' said the sailor, shaking his head. "'You think that he has quitted the island?' asked the reporter. "'If he has quitted the island, he would have taken away his weapons and his tools,' replied Pencroft. "'You know the value which castaways set on such articles as these, the last remains of a wreck?' "'No, no,' repeated the sailor, in a tone of conviction. "'No, he has not left the island. If he had escaped in a boat made by himself, he would still less have left these indispensable and necessary articles.' "'No, he is on the island.' "'Living?' asked Herbert. "'Living or dead. But if he is dead, I suppose he has not buried himself, and so we shall at least find his remains.' It was then agreed that the night should be passed in the deserted dwelling, and a store of wood found in a corner was sufficient to warm it. The door closed. Pencroft, Herbert, and Spilett remained there, seated on a bench, talking little but wondering much.' They were in a frame of mind to imagine anything or expect anything. They listened eagerly for sounds outside. The door might be opened suddenly, and a man presented himself to them without their being in the least surprised, notwithstanding all that the hut revealed of abandonment, and they had their hands ready to press the hands of this man, this castaway, this unknown friend, for whom friends were waiting. But no voice was heard. The door did not open. The hours thus passed away. How long the night appeared to the sailor and his companions! Herbert alone slept for two hours, for at his age sleep is a necessity. They were all three anxious to continue their exploration of the day before, 
and to search the most secret recesses of the islet. The inferences deduced by Pencroft were perfectly reasonable, and it was nearly certain that, as the hut was deserted, and the tools, utensils, and weapons were still there, the owner had succumbed. It was agreed, therefore, that they should search for his remains, and give them at least Christian burial. Day dawned. Pencroft and his companions immediately proceeded to survey the dwelling. It had certainly been built in a favourable situation, at the back of a little hill, sheltered by five or six magnificent gum-trees. Before its front and through the trees the axe had prepared a wide clearing, which allowed the view to extend to the sea. Beyond a lawn, surrounded by a wooden fence falling to pieces, was the shore, on the left of which was the mouth of the stream. The hut had been made of planks, and it was easy to see that these planks had been obtained from the hull or deck of a ship. It was probable that a disabled vessel had been cast on the coast of the island, that one at least of the crew had been saved, and that by means of the wreck this man, having tools at his disposal, had built the dwelling. And this became still more evident when Gideon Spilett, after having walked around the hut, saw on a plank, probably one of those which had formed the armour of the wrecked vessel, these letters already half effaced, B-R, space, T-A-N, more space, A. "'Britannia!' exclaimed Pencroft, whom the reporter had called. "'It is a common name for ships, and I could not say if she was English or American.' "'It matters very little, Pencroft.' "'Very little, indeed,' answered the sailor. "'And we will save the survivor of her crew, if he is still living, to whatever country he may belong. But before beginning our search again, let us go on board the Bonaventure.' A sort of uneasiness had seized Pencroft upon the subject of his vessel. Should the island be inhabited after all, and should some one have taken possession of her? But he shrugged his shoulders at such an unreasonable supposition. At any rate, the sailor was not sorry to go to breakfast on board. The road already trodden was not long, scarcely a mile. They set out on their walk, gazing into the wood and thickets through which goats and pigs fled in hundreds. Twenty minutes after leaving the hut, Pencroft and his companions reached the western coast of the island, and saw the Bonadventure held fast by her anchor, which was buried deep in the sand. Pencroft could not restrain a sigh of satisfaction. After all, this vessel was his child, and it is the right of fathers to be often uneasy when there is no occasion for it. They returned on board, breakfasted so that it should not be necessary to dine until very late. Then the repast being ended, the exploration was continued and conducted with the most minute care. Indeed, it was very probable that the only inhabitant of the island had perished. It was therefore more for the traces of a dead than of a living man that Pencroft and his companions searched. But their searches were vain, and during the half of that day they sought to no purpose among the thickets of trees which covered the islet. There was then scarcely any doubt that, if the castaway was dead, no trace of his body now remained, but that some wild beast had probably devoured it to the last bone. "'We will set off to-morrow at daybreak,' said Pencroft to his two companions, as about two o'clock they were resting for a few minutes under the shade of a clump of firs. "'I should think that we might without scruple 
"'Take the utensils which belong to the castaway,' added Herbert. "'I think so, too,' returned Gideon Spilett. "'And these arms and tools will make up the stores of Granite House. The supply of powder and shot is also most important.' "'Yes,' replied Pencroft. "'But we must not forget to capture a couple or two of these pigs, of which Lincoln Island is destitute.' "'Nor to gather those seeds,' added Herbert which will give us all the vegetables of the old and the new worlds. "'Then perhaps it would be best,' said the reporter, "'to remain a day longer on Tabor Island, so as to collect all that may be useful to us.' "'No, Mr. Spilett,' answered Pencroft. "'I will ask you to set off to-morrow at daybreak. The wind seems to me to be likely to shift to the west, and after having had a fair wind for coming we shall have a fair wind for going back.' "'Then do not let us lose time,' said Herbert, rising. "'We won't waste time,' returned Pencroft. "'You, Herbert, go and gather the seeds, which you know better than we do. While you do that, Mr. Spillett and I will go and have a pig-hunt, and even without top I hope we shall manage to catch a few.' Herbert accordingly took the path which led towards the cultivated part of the islet, while the sailor and the reporter entered the forest. Many specimens of the porcine race fled before them, and these animals, which were singularly active, did not appear to be in a humour to allow themselves to be approached. However, after an hour's chase, the hunters had just managed to get hold of a couple lying in a thicket, when cries were heard resounding from the north part of the island, where the cries were mingled terrible yells, in which there was nothing human. Pencroft and Gideon Spilett were at once on their feet, and the pigs by this movement began to run away, at the moment when the sailor was getting ready the rope to bind them. "'That's Herbert's voice,' said the reporter. "'Run!' exclaimed Pencroft. And the sailor and Spilett immediately ran at full speed towards the spot from whence the cries proceeded. They did well to hasten, for at a turn of the path near a clearing they saw the lad thrown on the ground and in the grasp of a savage being apparently a gigantic ape who was about to do him some great harm to rush on this monster throw him on the ground in his turn snatch herbert from him then bind him securely was the work of a minute for pencroft and gideon spilett the sailor was of herculean strength the reporter also very powerful and in spite of the monster's resistance he was firmly tied so that he could not even move. "'You are not hurt, Herbert?' asked Spilett. "'No, no.' "'Oh, if this ape had wounded him!' exclaimed Pencroft. "'But he is not an ape,' answered Herbert. At these words Pencroft and Gideon Spilett looked at the singular being who lay on the ground. Indeed it was not an ape. It was a human being, a man. But what a man!' a savage in all the horrible acceptation of the word, and so much the more frightful that he seemed to fall into the lowest degree of brutishness. Shaggy hair, untrimmed beard descending to the chest, the body almost naked except a rag round the waist, wild eyes, enormous hands with immensely long nails, skin the colour of mahogany, feet as hard as if made of horn, such was the miserable creature who yet had a claim to be called a man. But it might justly be asked if there was yet a soul in this body, or if the brute instinct alone survived in it. 
"'Are you quite sure that this is a man, or that he has ever been one?' said Pencroft to the reporter. "'Alas, there is no doubt about it,' replied Spilett. "'Then this must be the castaway?' asked Herbert. "'Yes,' replied Gideon Spilett. "'But the unfortunate man has no longer anything human about him.' The reporter spoke the truth. It was evident that if the castaway had ever been a civilized being, solitude had made him a savage, or worse, perhaps a regular man of the woods. Hoarse sounds issued from his throat between his teeth, which were sharp as the teeth of a wild beast made to tear raw flesh. Memory must have deserted him long before, and for a long time also he had forgotten how to use his gun and tools, and he no longer knew how to make a fire. It could be seen that he was active and powerful, but the physical qualities had been developed in him to the injury of the moral qualities. Gideon Spilett spoke to him. He did not appear to understand, or even to hear. And yet on looking into his eyes, the reporter thought he could see that all reason was not extinguished in him. However, the prisoner did not struggle, nor even attempt to break his bonds. Was he overwhelmed by the presence of men whose fellow he had once been? Had he found in some corner of his brain a fleeting remembrance which recalled him to humanity? If free, would he attempt to fly, or would he remain? They could not tell, but they did not make the experiment, and after gazing attentively at the miserable creature, "'Whoever he may be,' remarked Gideon Spilett, "'whoever he may have been,' And whatever he may become, it is our duty to take him with us to Lincoln Island. Yes, yes, replied Herbert, and perhaps with care we may arouse in him some gleam of intelligence. The soul does not die, said the reporter, and it would be a great satisfaction to rescue one of God's creatures from brutishness. Pencroft shook his head doubtfully. We must try at any rate, returned the reporter. Humanity commands us. It was indeed their duty as Christians and civilized beings. All three felt this, and they well knew that Cyrus Harding would approve of their acting thus. "'Shall we leave him bound?' asked the sailor. "'Perhaps he would walk if his feet were unfastened,' said Herbert. "'Let us try,' replied Pencroft. The cords which shackled the prisoner's feet were cut off, but his arms remained securely fastened. He got up by himself, and did not manifest any desire to run away. His hard eyes darted a piercing glance at the three men who walked near him, but nothing denoted that he recollected being their fellow, or at least having been so. A continual hissing sound issued from his lips. His aspect was wild, but he did not attempt to resist. By the reporter's advice the unfortunate man was taken to the hut. Perhaps the sight of the things that belonged to him would make some impression on him. Perhaps a spark would be sufficient to revive his obscured intellect, to rekindle his dulled soul. The dwelling was not far off. In a few minutes they arrived there, but the prisoner remembered nothing, and it appeared that he had lost consciousness of everything. What could they think of the degree of brutishness into which this miserable being had fallen, unless that his imprisonment on the island dated from a very distant period, and after having arrived there a rational being, 
Solitude had reduced him to this condition. The reporter then thought that perhaps the sight of fire would have some effect on him, and in a moment one of those beautiful flames, that attract even animals, blazed up on the hearth. The sight of the flame seemed at first to fix the attention of the unhappy object, but soon he turned away, and the look of intelligence faded. Evidently there was nothing to be done, for the time at least, but to take him on board the Bonaventure. This was done, and he remained there in Pencroft's charge. Herbert and Spilett returned to finish their work, and some hours after they came back to the shore, carrying the utensils and guns, a store of vegetables, of seeds, some game, and two couple of pigs. All was embarked, and the Bonaventure was ready to weigh anchor and sail with the morning tide. The prisoner had been placed in the fore-cabin, where he remained quiet, silent, apparently deaf and dumb. Pencroft offered him something to eat, but he pushed away the cooked meat that was presented to him, and which doubtless did not suit him. But on the sailor showing him one of the ducks which Herbert had killed, he pounced on it like a wild beast, and devoured it greedily. "'You think that he will recover his senses?' asked Pencroft. "'It is not impossible that our care will have an effect upon him, for it is solitude that has made him what he is, and from this time forward he will be no longer alone.' "'The poor man must no doubt have been in this state for a long time,' said Herbert. "'Perhaps,' answered Gideon Spilett. "'About what age is he?' asked the lad. "'It is difficult to say,' replied the reporter, "'for it is impossible to see his features under the thick beard which covers his face, but he is no longer young, and I suppose he might be about fifty. "'Have you noticed, Mr. Spilett, how deeply sunk his eyes are?' asked Herbert. "'Yes, Herbert, but I must add that they are more human than one could expect from his appearance.' "'However we shall see,' replied Pencroft, "'and I am anxious to know what opinion Captain Harding will have of our savage. We went to look for a human creature, and we are bringing back a monster. After all, we did what we could.' The night passed and whether the prisoner slept or not could not be known, but, at any rate, although he had been unbound, he did not move. He was like a wild animal, which appears stunned at first by its capture, and becomes wild again afterwards. At daybreak the next morning, the 15th of October, the change of weather predicted by Pencroft occurred. The wind having shifted to the northwest favoured the return of the Bonaventure, but at the same time it freshened, which might render navigation more difficult. At five o'clock in the morning the anchor was weighed. Pencroft took a reef in the mainsail, and steered towards the northeast, so as to sail straight for Lincoln Island. The first day of the voyage was not marked by any incident. The prisoner remained quiet in the fore-cabin, and as he had been a sailor it appeared that the motion of the vessel might produce on him a salutary reaction. Did some recollection of his former calling return to him? However that might be, he remained tranquil, astonished rather than depressed. The next day the wind increased, blowing more from the north, consequently in a less favourable direction for the Bonaventure. Pencroft was soon obliged to sail close-hauled, and without saying anything about it, 
he began to be uneasy at the state of the sea, which frequently broke over the bows. Certainly, if the wind did not moderate, it would take a longer time to reach Lincoln Island than it had taken to make Tabor Island. Indeed, on the morning of the 17th, the Bonaventure had been forty-eight hours at sea, and nothing showed that she was near the island. It was impossible, besides, to estimate the distance traversed, or to trust to the reckoning for the direction, as the speed had been very irregular. Twenty-four hours after there was yet no land in sight. The wind was right ahead, and the sea very heavy. The sails were close-reefed, and they tacked frequently. On the eighteenth a wave swept completely over the Bonaventure, and if the crew had not taken the precaution of lashing themselves to the deck, they would have been carried away. On this occasion Pencroft and his companions, who were occupied with loosing themselves, received unexpected aid from the prisoner, who emerged from the hatchway as if his sailor's instinct had suddenly returned, broke a piece out of the bulwarks with a spar so as to let the water which filled the deck escape. Then, the vessel being clear, he descended to his cabin without having uttered a word. Pencroft, Gideon Spillett, and Herbert, greatly astonished, let him proceed. Their situation was truly serious, and the sailor had reason to fear that he was lost on the wide sea without any possibility of recovering his course. The night was dark and cold. However, about eleven o'clock, the wind fell, the sea went down, and the speed of the vessel, as she laboured less, greatly increased. Neither Pencroft, Spilett, nor Herbert thought of taking an hour's sleep. They kept a sharp lookout, for either Lincoln Island could not be far distant, and would be sighted at daybreak, or the Bonaventure, carried away by currents, had drifted so much that it would be impossible to rectify her course. Pencroft, uneasy to the last degree, yet did not despair, for he had a gallant heart, and grasping the tiller he anxiously endeavoured to pierce the darkness which surrounded them. About two o'clock in the morning he started forward. "'A light! A light!' he shouted. Indeed, a bright light appeared twenty miles to the northeast. Lincoln Island was there, and this fire, evidently lighted by Cyrus Harding, showed them the course to be followed. Pencroft, who was bearing too much to the north, altered his course and steered towards the fire, which burned brightly above the horizon, like a star of the first magnitude. End of chapter.